Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Desi VC podcast everybody. I'm your host Akash Pat and this is a show where we bring you leading investors in India to talk about the venture landscape. Today with me on the show is my very good friend and an operator turned investor Arjun Vaidya. Arjun is the India lead for World Invest, a leading family-owned investment group with over 1 billion pounds in assets under management backed by families who have together built one of the world's largest consumer businesses. Arjun joins World Invest after a great stint as a founder and the CEO of Dr. Vaidya's, a new age Ayurvedic product startup which was acquired in March 2021 by RPS Goenka Group. Before embarking on his own entrepreneurial journey, Arjun completed his graduation from Brown University and spent a few years at Louis Vuitton's private equity arm El Cateron as an investor. So we are going to be touching upon his own personal journey as a founder, what it takes to build consumer businesses in the country, and most importantly, how he's finding life today as an investor supporting up and coming brands in the country through capital and leadership. So without further ado, let's head in and listen to Arjun. Arjun, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You and I have been meaning to do this for a while now. I'm so glad that one of the last episodes of the year is with a very good friend of mine. Thank you, and yeah, best time to do it is the end of the year, right? Uh, we have a full year to reflect on, and uh, some time away from the craziness as well. So I think perfect time to do this. Absolutely, you won't believe it. It's actually been two years since the time I started the podcast, and I started it during okay. Christmas. And I remember my first guest, Sanjay Mehta, saying the same thing. He said you started it at the right time. when i now have a chance to reflect back on the entire year so i guess the timing is perfect for us as well ending the year grabbing all the insights from your time in investing but before we get into all of that i want to understand most importantly you've been an operator for a good part of the last 5 years you began this year as an operator as well you had a very successful exit and then you ventured into venture capital some of the entire experience for us like what's it been like that whole whirlwind journey that you and i have discussed numerous times in the past let our audience also know what it's been like take us through that journey look i'll tell you honestly 2021 is like a crazy year for the world and and i would say a crazy year for me as well right started the year um pretty much well i i was an operator but i was on my way out as an operator right because our investors made an offer to buy our business in december we accepted the offer in december and so jan to march was uh, about handing the business over and so we officially exited our equity position in march of this year but when i started 2021 i already knew i was uh, i was changing gears or or changing pathway i think the amazing part about an ending is that you get a lot of time to reflect think back and then think what's forward as well and i remember my dad telling me in march when we officially exited the business he said look you have what most people don't have in life like in in the 30 years that i've been working i've never had the time to pause stop think reflect and then move right and so i think dr vedya's for for me was like the formative years of my life right 24 to 29 formative years of my professional life left my first job grew as an individual learned everything i know about business building business building teams making mistakes failures um dealing with myself um you know learning more about myself learning how hard i could fight i think that was 
24 to 29 and and the entire Dr. Vedya's journey and building the company, we had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, right? The first two years was really, really hard building the business. We doubted ourselves many times. Then we hit some amount of product market fit, started scaling from there, raised capital, grew exponentially, had 2020 where the year started amazingly, then COVID hit, things started looking tough, but Ayurveda zoomed. And so emotionally, mentally, and physically, while it was really tough, the business was doing exceptionally well during COVID, right? And so we had to learn how to operate in the most difficult environment there was ever in 2020, but scale a business exponentially in that time, launch seven products between April to July last year, um, and then eventually take the business to heights I'd never imagined, um, and then say goodbye, right? And that entire process of saying goodbye um, to something which you have spent 99% of your time thinking about for five years, right? Yeah. I, I remember editing a social media post while I was on the way to my Bharat for my wedding. Um, and, and then I remember like December 27th, 2020, uh, pretty much after we decided to exit, we said, we're not going to come back to the office. Now we'll hand over the business largely remotely. We'll come back a few times. And so right. having that moment around this time last year, where uh, we had our last meal at the office, the entire team had left. We had our farewell, all of that. And then we had both sets of parents and siblings come to the office and we ordered pizza and we just sat down and just like reflected on, on See, what was the moment. Day, right? Yeah. And, and it was an amazing moment, you know, just like sitting at that table, I had lunch for the last four and a half years and then eating that pizza and saying, wow, it's been, it's been a cool journey. So Jan started with a, uh, handing the business over, um, and then by March, we were out. Uh, we planned to move to the UK. Remember, we talked about this yeah. uh, from April to the end of the year. Obviously, second wave hit. And as is customary in this time, you have to have a plan B and a plan C. And so, you know, we moved to uh, our house outside of Bombay, Nalibag um, at this time. After we had been under quarantine, my grandmother had got COVID. Some of our staff at home had got COVID. We just said, okay, now, like everything sorted, let's just go. Right. And for two months, we spent time there, just Trisha and I, just reflecting, figuring out what's next. And for us at this time, we were like, we have no clue what life holds for us, right? But what we do know is that we've had an amazing experience. And so we want to give back, right? We want to share our experience and give back to founders. And so we spent like 12 hours a week just speaking to founders, right? And that mm -hmm. became... 24 founders a week. So think about it in two months, we would have spoken to like 200, 300 founders across the D2C consumer brand, consumer internet space. And we realized there's something for us to do here, right? And, and that's when we started like actively angel investing um, and also mentoring, advising founders. From that came about 40 angel investments in the last 12 months across four spaces, consumer brands, consumer internet, enablers to e-commerce and e-commerce on e-commerce platforms. Uh, but I think we also saw that there is more than just capital, right? And so eventually wrote out a playbook on building a D2C brand in India, which we now teach as a cohort-based course. And actually um, this is week one of one of our newest cohorts that we're teaching through Growth School. More than 150 founders are part of this cohort and we teach our experiences. And, you know, through this time of April, May, June of this year, we realized that, look, uh, maybe we'll build at some point in life again. But for now, um, we've had a journey. It took a lot out of us, but we have a lot to give back. right? And so is there a way for 
us to give back to the next generation of founders, the next hundred founders. There's some way we can enable this ecosystem, right? And and, and that's the thought process with which um, came back to Bombay in June after the two months out. Um, and 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 similar time actually got connected to a bunch of VC funds and. Um, one fund I really enjoyed my conversation with was Volinvest. So obviously as someone who's been in the consumer space, Volinvest is the blue chip of consumer investing. Um, I knew them from my private equity days and from sort of building a business. Um, Fund had been obviously very successful in India. Investments like Sula, Viba, Epigramia, Purple, Wakefit, Baiju's, Heads Up for Tail. So I I knew what they did. Um, And they we started a conversation where they said, look, we've been doing growth equity where a sort of 3 billion plus single LP evergreen growth equity fund structure doing investments from 15 to $100 million, but we want to get into venture. And we believe that founders are best placed to run venture funds. And that's something I hadn't heard before or was a really refreshing change. And so they said, we're looking for an ex-founder who's built and sold a consumer brand below the age of 40 in India and similarly in US and Europe to run the fund um, and to build this strategy, right? And so I thought the strategy was really interesting, really refreshing. So we spent eight weeks getting to know each other actually from May to July of last year and just thought they were stellar, exceptional people. Um, And I thought the mindset matched, the thought process matched, the philosophy of giving back to the ecosystem and being long-term partners in the journey matched. And so eventually August, I started this new role um, to run the venture arm of Volinvest in India. And the venture arm is a global venture arm. So I have um, someone, a counterpart similar to me in Europe, um, and eventually hopefully we'll start in the US as well. Right. Um, with founder-backed venture funds doing Series A investing in consumer, and consumer means consumer brands, consumer internet, enablers to e-commerce and e-commerce platforms. Pretty similar to my angel investing strategy. And, and that that's that's how I started the the journey on the other side of the table as an investor. You've summarized a lot that's happened in your life in the last like seven or eight minutes. And I want to uncover everything maybe from the first. And one of the things that stood out to me was you were talking about how your family sat down, had that pizza together and savor that moment in. Now, I want to take you back to maybe a few months or weeks before that, that day. How did you come to making the decision as a founder that, yeah, this was the right time for me to move on? Because it's a very tough decision. A lot of people, a lot of founders get those offers at some point during their careers, at least the ones who are fortunate enough to get it. What kind of thoughts go through a founder's head when there's an offer on the table? And what are the various factors that you consider, especially when you're thinking, hey, what happens if I leave this and move on and actually continue building it? Am I going to regret taking this offer? Is there more that can I, I can actually get out of this? There's a very famous line from that social network movie as well, right? When an offer came to Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg said, you know what, I'm going to leave it behind. I'm going to go and build something that's much bigger. So I want to take you through that whole process. And um, it'll be great for our listeners to also understand how do founders really think about it? How do they approach it? Look, if I was to if I was to tell you what's the toughest decision of my life, it was this one, right? It was deciding to exit. wasn't an easy decision. I think what I had, which enabled me to take the decision better, was experience in private equity, right? So, my first job out of college was in private equity, and 
from that experience, I met a bunch of founders who saw the difference between the emotional attachment to running a business and the value you create from a business, right? And so my dad, for example, who's run a business for the last 35 years would never, ever understand what I did. And so explaining to him why I was doing what I was doing was part of the process of me uncovering for myself why I was doing it, right? So I think from my private equity experience, it was nice to see a business as a shareholder and a business as a promoter, right? And I, I feel like you can be a promoter and a shareholder, but you have to wear two separate hats when you're looking at those two things. Uh, I think the offer came, we thought it was fair value for what we had built for four and a half years. Trisha and I sat down and we said, hey, is it the right time? Do we think it's the right time? Look, there's never a right time. Akash, if you were sitting in my shoes, maybe you would have decided the same thing. Maybe you would decide a different thing. And from the hundreds of people who have asked me this question since I exited, I would say there is no, there is no consensus that it was a right or wrong decision. Right? There is no consensus. But the decision is a very personal one. It was our decision. Right. And for us, it seemed like the right decision at that point of time. Right? And How so, many nights did, it, did it keep you up? Or was look, it I think, more, was it I think taking the decision, taking the decision is not what kept me up at night. Okay. Right? Um, it took a few weeks of rational conversation, sitting down, etc., all of that. But but either way, I would be happy, right? Taking the decision, exiting the business, great, getting great value, doing something which very few people can do before they're 30 years old. Yes, that was amazing. But if I stayed on. It was the thing I loved doing the most as well. So either way, I was fine with that decision. What kept me up at night actually was once I made the decision, mm. telling my team, what would they think? How would they react? What would they do? Right. I remember I'm not an emotional person, yeah. but when I told my team, I cried. Like I, I didn't know what to say. I saw the look of shock on their face and I didn't know what to tell them, like how, how to react. I remember the day we just said to everyone, we are leaving. Nobody worked. Yeah. I didn't work. The team didn't work. No one worked. Right. It was just like, like I remember getting messages saying it's like a day of morning, all of those things. Right. So that was what kept me up at night. That was what was difficult. But then we had a lot of time to spend with the team before we actually said goodbye. Right. The entire three, three and a half months of handover, etc. all of that. So we had enough time to spend time individually with team members to say, explain to them why we're doing it. Talk to them about their careers, their progression, their future. That while we may not be around for this business, doesn't mean the business is not going to thrive. Right. The yeah. business is going to one of India's largest conglomerates and they are going to grow it further. The right. reason they've decided to take it from us and, and, and do it is not a slump sale or a fire sale, right? It's an exit while a business on the rise. So, right. so I think um, that was, that was what kept me up um, at night, to be honest. Um, and I think on the point of regrets, that's the one thing my family told me. Once you've taken this decision, it's over. Can't right? regret. Yeah. Now, whether it, whether it becomes a unicorn or it doesn't become a unicorn, you are the one that sowed the seed, saw the sapling, a small plant, but how big the tree becomes or whether it becomes a tree at all, it's not your destiny any longer. So it's over. Right. right? And so when things are going well with Dr. Vedas, things are going not so well, according to me from the outside, I have no emotion to it. I'm a customer still. I consume the products on a daily basis right. and I'm a happy customer of the brand. I'm a cheerleader. I'm a supporter. I do share the posts sometimes on my Instagram feed as well when I like them. Yeah. And that's my relationship with the company now. Yeah. I have friendships and great relationships with people still working in the company, but as a friend now, not as a, as a founder or as a business associate any longer. I want to take you back to that journey of building the company itself because you talked about the highs and the lows. We've kind of like spoken about the highs and I'm sure 
even before the exit of the conversation the offer being on the table they must have been highs that you have hit you talked about seven products being launched in the span of like three months that's a huge high for a company for yourself for the brand for the industry for you to be able to do that in the middle of a pandemic that takes a lot both of your employees and of you and everybody else who is supporting the team let's talk about some of the things that goes into building a consumer brand because i want to tie this back into investing it's going to all come back and make sense because we want to talk about how founders are building consumer products today in india and you started building this about 5 years ago when consumer was not as sexy as it is today consumer has always had some place in indian hearts and it in- was not a term when we started by the way but it's exactly. like so today there is at least there's 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 a place for it in the industry people talk about it in a very flamboyant sexy manner so when you were starting off as a founder yourself what was the biggest challenge in terms of getting the business off the ground and even starting about i'm sure it was a huge risk for you leaving private equity starting something off your own you were 24 lot of uncertainty around you take us to that journey because i want to tie that back and later with your investing because when you're looking at founders today who are young I'm sure there's a lot of empathy that comes back from your side, and you kind of like know when somebody is making a hard decision. If today somebody is leaving a job to go build, even for, say for example, a smart pillow, just taking a random example out of thin air here, you kind of understand the decision a found a, a potential founder or a co-founder is actually making in that situation. So let's go back and take it to that journey of what were those things that when you were building out were the toughest things, and what does it mean to build a consumer brand in India? Look, I think the first part is quitting your job, right? Yeah. And uh, quitting a job in private equity, firstly, getting a job in private equity instead of college is like near impossible, right? Yeah. So I knew already how fortunate I was to get that job, right? And and then you get paid really well. Yeah. Like really, really well for someone who's twenty two, twenty three, twenty four years old. So I think letting go of that was a really tough decision, and it took me like six months to rationalize it. Mm-hmm. but eventually um, you know when you when you do then you just move on and, and look you have to rip off the bandaid as a founder mm-hmm. right the worst thing that i hear today and maybe a controversial view is people who are saying uh, i'm still in my full time job this is part time right now let it scale i'll quit my job it's not going to scale yeah there's no way it's going to become as large as you want it to be if you're doing a full time job right? right so so i think ripping off the bandaid was a tough one but eventually i did it once i did it um you realize that nobody answers your emails anymore because i remember once talking to a recruiting agency pretty uh, large recruiting agency i never worked with them after that uh, because i thought they were totally non startup friendly so it's like 3 months into my journey i didn't have a website set up yet and they said if you don't have a website we won't hire people for you and i was like look i have an idea i have capital i'm going and they were like once you uh, start your website let us know Right. um and and look this was 2016 17 right today those recruiting agencies won't behave like that but but that was like a big shock to me right like i was like come on man i'm mm. not started yet but i will start um and and i i remember a marketing agency came and pitched to us uh and uh i told them what i was up to and i spoke for 5 minutes about what i was doing etc all of that and then uh i think the founder uh Or, or the person who came for the meeting, he said, "It seems like you know everything, so there's no need for me." And just left, got up and walked away from the meeting. Right? And I was shocked. Like these were like scarring experiences in the first few months of building a business. Uh, but I think from there, it was just about like putting your head down and doing it. The first years were really tough, right? Because I come from a family business background. My father runs a pretty successful business. 
that's pretty well known uh and and i didn't like smash it from day one i didn't hit a home run from day one and so hearing those conversations those murmurs of people saying hey like what is he doing with his time why is he not joined this family business what is this company is trying to build it's going absolutely nowhere right and not establishing product market fit for the first two years very very difficult you'd go into office every day sit on your email and think one day my email will be full and i won't have time to answer emails today i'm so free nobody's ordering these products i have nothing happening for me right mm-hmm. and then uh, you know launching the business with two products live it up hangover shield and herbofit goodness of chavanprash in a capsule having a huge launch event at taj lands end hundreds of people coming for the launch event the press writing about it and then signing up six distributors in jan 2017 for the bombay market uh doing 10 lakh rupees worth of sales and then as we are in finance and we model all of it out so it's 10 lakhs 20 lakhs 50 lakhs 1 crore 5 crores and i'm like okay i'm off to the races now and then 3 months later getting 9 lakhs worth of this 10 lakhs of product back because i realized i just built to distributors distributors had to build to retailers retailers had to build to end consumers only once the end consumers what would i get real sales and then having this huge failure failing offline and deciding to shut shop offline right like saying hey it's not for me because i don't have enough money there are enough large brands and i don't know this right and then you know reflecting deciding to pivot offline convincing my wife who was my girlfriend at the time to join the business um give up her career she was at like the early team at nike and then an impact investor making her give up her career taking that risk as well saying hey by the way both of us eventually engaged and working in this business are staking our careers on this company that seems to be going nowhere for now you're kind of lucky it worked out for you huh <laughs> with nike really? going public <laughs> i remember in 2018 early 2018 like like just both of us sitting in a in, in in my room and saying like nobody wants to invest in this business people around us who started after us are like already raising seed round and we are here hitting our head against the wall working 14 15 hours a day and not getting any traction right but then yeah. i think from there getting the e-commerce business up and running right so starting a d2c brand in ayurveda like digital first in ayurveda people laughed at us and they were like firstly digital first brands these like don't exist or shouldn't exist and then ayurveda the most traditional segment of sort of brand building society etc um just doesn't seem to make sense at all right and and isn't going to work and then setting off on this journey doing one order every 3 days in november 2017 launching 29 products um doing customer service ourselves because we didn't have a team didn't have any of that learning from the customer and then scaling to pmf one year later which was 50 orders a day on a single branded ayurvedic website i think akash today 50 orders a day seems like nothing right, right. and it's nothing like if i angel investment startup and they're like i'm doing 50 orders a day i'm like okay i have a long way to go right in the consumer space but 2018 november 50 orders a day single branded ayurvedic website orders all across this country that's when we said okay now it's not just a figment of our imagination we have something here right but that year of 2017 2018 learning digital marketing learning facebook google shopify woocommerce seo supply chain ops logistics warehousing all on our own we didn't have all these tools that exist today right right that was the most fun part of the journey like 
going from two orders to five orders, five orders to 10 orders, then 50 orders to 5,000 orders. That was fine. It was a matter of scale. But those like checking Google Analytics every day, hitting 30,000 rupees a day, that was the, the, the best fun. Sort of building. Fun. Yeah, I want to take you back and put you on the spot. In fact, um, I should have done this a couple of minutes ago when you brought this up. But there was a point where you said that it was incredibly, incredibly hard in the early days for you when you were leaving private equity, starting a job, and if somebody was doing, you know, a full-time job and also starting something on the side. Today, when you look back and say, if I come across a founder who's got, who may be onto something, but is still sticking onto his full-time job or her full-time job, are you more likely to invest as an angel? I, I mean, I'm not as a person. As a person, I will yeah. not invest. You will not. Okay. Unless the person has given me guarantee they will leave their job. And when they are leaving their job, I don't mind a founder who said, Hey, I'm, I have this idea and I like the idea. I think it's an amazing idea. Yeah. I've re resigned from my job and I'm serving my notice. I'm fine with that. But yeah. if I find a founder who says, Hey, um, I, I can't leave my job. Um, yeah. And so this is a part-time thing. Yeah. Then it's a little less convincing. To I, I, I personally won't invest. Look at right. that's my view. Yeah. That's my personal view. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with people who said I've resigned and I'm on my, on my way out and I'm, I'm yeah. building this. That's, a different story, capital yeah. for, that's fine. But yeah. if someone's still half in there's it, like, if it doesn't work out, the yeah. easiest thing to say would be, Hey, I'm going back to my job. So today looking back, you know, being through that whole angel investing journey yourself and being with well invest for the last couple of uh, months, what is Arjun's investor persona? Look, I think uh, it's not changed very much, right? From the way we were founders, like a lot of our learnings have come in. Um, we are very uh, founder focused investors also from, from the angel side, at least Trisha and I, yeah. and even from, from Volin West side, right? Look, you're making early bets. Yeah. You're betting on people. Um, and I think that's most important, right? Getting to know the person, what drives them, because it's not going to be all hunky-dory and all great times, right? Yeah. Uh, you may read in the newspapers that, this is startup has become a unicorn. That startup has become a unicorn. Go deeper into the journeys of each of the founders. See the struggles they've been through, right? Yeah. That's only when you will know what the real journey is. Like I keep telling people who romanticize the startup journey. It's an amazing journey of amazing achievement, but you have to see what's gone into it. Right. right. And I specifically talk a lot about failure, yeah. right? And the importance of failure and, and, and what it has and what it taught me as an individual. So I think, um, Safe investor, uh, I don't know. I, I would say I'm too early in my journey to say whether I'm safe or, or risky or all of those things. But when I speak to founders, a lot of them say I've never heard these kind of questions before. Mm. Right? And I guess that's a good thing because um, empathy aside, maybe we, I get to see things or I have seen things in yeah. the founder journey that maybe someone who's not been through the journey has not seen. Right. That's a very interesting perspective that you bring out. Um, asking the right questions or trying to look deeper into things that perhaps a traditional investor would, would dig into. Where does that come from? Like, has that come? Okay, from I'll give you a simple example, right? Yeah. I never ask someone where they see themselves in five years. I'm not interested in that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I hear this. I, I got this question a lot as a founder. Okay. There's no way. Yeah. That I would have known that I would be having this conversation with you doing what I am doing five years ago. Right. No chance. Right. It's like telling a batsman who's set out to bat on the morning of a test match as the opening batsman. Yeah. Where do you want to be at the end of the day? Right. Right. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. You know how the ball will move. 
you know you, you know, don't want to pitch it you have a partner on the other hand you have no clue right you have just yeah. no clue um, and so these these are the kind of things that 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 maybe i've seen like for me i believe that a startup is a multi year journey yeah of a 100 day plans right that's my view hmm. right and so you know kid ask a founder where do you see yourself next year right but five years from now ask any unicorn founder did you see yourself here five years ago they'll all say i mean perhaps if you ask today's unicorn founders you should only be asking six months to 12 months because that's exactly how- exactly right see how fast things change <laughs> exactly so it's five year questions completely out of the line great at which indian companies are actually hitting the 1 billion dollar mark and i'm not so philosophical as well right i'm not so philosophical i'm more ops heavy i ask the real questions i ask for the day to day because philosophically look you get to know a person yeah uh, but, uh, thinking about a business philosophically i'm not that's not me right so when you're digging into companies today especially on the consumer side what really stands out apart from the founders is it the business model as you trying like understand their acumen for actually running a business even if there's nothing concrete as such it's just a i know you invest at series a so at that point you're expecting product market fit but i want to first start off with your angel messing journey because i'm guessing that was everywhere that was all over the map right look it's the same right the, i look at three things personally right yeah founder yeah uh, i was put a percentage be 50% founder right 20% tam right because um in consumer at least you see a lot of products which are built for a south bombay south delhi bangalore audience right, right? and that's great very high because end. i consume those products but it may not be so great as an investment opportunity right right doctor vaidya was 82% outside the top 10 cities right it's 16500 pin code that's how we scale right so there has to be some tam may not be doctor vaidya's tam may not be the same market. there has to be enough tam and then the third thing is business uh metrics mm. which could be unit economics it could be growth velocity it could be team it could be business dynamics could be all of these things right so that 50% founder 20% tam 30% business performance and business so does that 20% tam where you allocate towards the opportunity the business does that change your investment strategy also because when you're looking at companies that come across your table and you're saying hey you're building with lack of like better uh, examples a raw pressery epigami of like india when you come across companies like those are you is your mind somewhat automatically biased in a way saying man you might build out something here but it's not a large enough opportunity for me to like really tap into but then when you see a middle india product come across your eyes just lights up based on personal experience as well as the tam that's available like how do you look, evaluate both opportunities look i think leaving names aside right yeah. um for me uh there are brands that have taken a niche market yeah and established significant scale right and that's what d2c allows you today in the offline space a brand in a niche would have to put itself in thousands of stores and have one one customer come to each of the stores to buy it d2c allows you to reach those thousands of customers through one platform right so right. so tam is different from just the way fmcg tam is looked at hmm. but what i don't like is really really niche businesses right looking for a really really niche set of customers that set of customers will exist mm-hmm. and that will build a good business but may not be a venture fundable business that's that, that that's what i would say right i love middle india product. i love it what's an example of one of those companies actually for our listeners who kind of like okay so i'll tell you what what i'm a gluten free sugar free consumer right right if there was a specific gluten free sugar free product yeah uh, that was in a specific niche right uh, i would consume it 
Yeah. But are there enough gluten-free, sugar-free customers like me in India today? Maybe not. Maybe right. Right. So that's the that that's the example I would give. Would I be a customer? Hundred percent, I'd be a customer. Yeah. But just one. Like me, are there enough people like me in India? Not yet. Maybe in the future, yes, but not yet, right? And Middle India, you know, to me, just just from personal experience, I love it, right? So maybe I'm a little bit biased to those kind of products, but I personally seen that experience and that journey. And sometimes you have to you have to do things you know, right? Because you're better able to evaluate those things. And so I think Middle India for me is is a really exciting opportunity. And how important is it for you to also have founders who have a good understanding of that space? Now, say for example. And um, the reason I'm asking this is because I want to connect it back to your story. Like you, obviously, when you were building out the Ayurveda brand, you were a Bombay boy, private equity background, building out a product for perhaps like sixty, seventy percent of India, but not lived in those markets. But you were still able to like build it pretty successfully. Perhaps the family business and all of that kind of like tied in. You had some sort of and your family business in luxury jewelry and watches. So it's even more <laughs> niche than my persona. <laughs> so you had certain factors that kind of like perhaps helped you in terms of understanding various things. But today, when you look at opportunities of somebody say building out a, a middle India product, but is is not from middle India, doesn't understand or. perhaps when you take a look at a pitch deck you're like do you guys do these guys really understand middle india yeah they might have a great educational background maybe work experience at some very well known brands how do you even know whether this is the right opportunity for you to start in india you to look at me from a on a pitch deck and say this guy is going to go and build middle india brand most people would say he's not equipped right mm. he's a he's a like like i've heard a, a vc one say uh why are you raising seed capital or why are you raising pre series a capital uh your family should fund this business you come from a family business na yeah. or uh, or uh, you have a family business you'll never be motivated to work hard right okay. i think those are those are not the right way of looking at things right because um you can't judge a book by its cover absolutely uh, what is important for me though is hey this guy who has this kind of background um uh, will he use his background to bias his business mm. right mm. and that's something we never did so i remember one seeing a video that our company or that our uh, performance ads team was putting on tiktok and i was just walking past and i heard this like really jazzy tacky song in the background and some really like unappealing ad to me so i was like guys like are you really going to put that up and they were like it's running at 7x roi do you want us to take it down and i was like no chance go for it right english and hindi was what we advertised in not english right my brain would tell me english makes sense but i never allowed my brain to bias the way the business went so as long as you can find a founder who's okay to accept that my life and my persona may not be my business persona as well that's very interesting you actually mentioned that um not a lot of vcs actually think the way you do and that's based on some of the conversations that i've had with people taking a very traditional vcs surf an approach even though they have operating backgrounds themselves what kind of like sets you apart in terms of your investments is it the fact that you are still motivated to invest in founders who are very similar to you or is it you trying to like still learn the ropes of what kind of an investor you are in terms of who you want to be investing with and into look it's really early for me to say what sets me apart etc all of that yeah. um for now what i can say is that like i may have a little bit more empathy because i've yeah. been through the journey very recently and i may have a little more operational knowledge in consumer brands right because 
if you ask me hey what's the right plugin to use for this or what's the right agency to use for this or how do i look at this maybe i'll have some more knowledge but very early for me to say why i'm a better investor or a worse investor i think my track record is also too early to judge uh, but i love consumer right i act, i live it i spend all my time um, thinking about it right and so it's a personal passion area for me and and once i remember my dad telling me once uh, whatever you do ensure you go into that every single day and love doing it because that's what allow you to be the best at he gave an amazing example he said even if your business is sing chana on the street be the best guy doing that on the street the best sing chana vendor on the street right and so i think passion and dedication is hopefully what will eventually uh, help me to to uh, make better decisions and win better deals but time will tell how do you think about the price discipline speed diligence in today's market you know the diligence cycles today unfortunately are so condensed because how quickly the the deals are moving and i remember having conversations with uh, plenty of founders where i would want to invest in them but one either it's sometimes very difficult to break into them two um by the time you finish your diligence the round is closed so how does world invest make its way into cap tables yeah given that you guys have a great brand and everything for sure that really helps and opens a lot of doors for founders but even getting into some really competitive deals is like really hard how do you think about it um, especially from a strategy perspective into getting into deals look i think a uh, amazing question so i'll i'll take the first one right sector agnostic world invest globally is not sector agnostic either right so the growth equity fund is a consumer focused fund in consumer brands e-commerce right um and and anything sort of consumer focus fnb health and care digitally enabled consumer businesses uh and so uh, the venture strategy is a uh, is is sort of a corollary to that strategy we are going a little bit wider with ventures right so we'll do more consumer internet more enablement to e-commerce but still that same focus right and that focus is fine it may be a bane because you may not be able to look at certain b2b saas businesses etc all of that but but it, it's a it's a boon because then the companies you're talking to they really know that this is your space right you're not just throwing money and being a passive investor and right? so you're an active investor doing something you understand so that's on the sort of sector focus and and you can generally add value then if you understand the space and you know the space and you you understand the business life cycle the journey etc you understand you have to be patient long term all of those things right on the speed point yeah uh, there are many aspects to that right? the first thing is the world has changed yeah. capital is a commodity and so founders are much smarter about good capital and smart capital right mm. and so i have no shame because i'm a founder in going and selling myself or my fund right as i've done it multiple times now i find it insane because it's totally different from the world that i raise money in but it's a reality of the market and so you have to go and sell yourself right and so right. i i have no shame in doing that there may be some people who may not be able to do it i can do it right and i have no problem in doing it as well so that's the first thing then the second thing of speed at an early stage right there is not so much you can diligence or there are not so many questions you need to ask right sometimes i feel like questions get inane right so mm-hmm. go spend your 2 3 4 5 hours but then the end of that you have to have some conviction to take a call right, right. and so that's how i i look at speed of decision making right you have to spend your time have the conversations ask the questions respect the speed of the process and then decide whether you can do it or not right. if a founder says hey i have time to talk to you for 30 minutes and then 
you got to make your decision you got to decide whether you are able to do or not and some people are able to and some people are not so on the speed of decision making do what you can and if there is a process closing faster give your time to close that process if you are really serious about it right to show the founder you are really serious about it on the diligence part actually to be honest uh at an early stage there's only so much you can diligence but i'm not a proponent of going in blind right um without a diligence uh for a for a fund investment for an angel investment um you you rely on other funds micro vcs coming in you rely on the diligence if you trust them etc all of that but i'm not a proponent of saying hey i don't have time for a diligence so i'm not going to do a diligence and i'll just go in that's a little bit more difficult for me maybe i'm a little more traditional in that sense mm-hmm. so that's my view on on sector agnostic on speed of decision making and process and then eventually diligence well coming to what you invest in which is which is india what what are you most stoked about in today's market um and where are you seeing the opportunities come up in india right now within consumer technology look i think opportunities are everywhere right i'm stoked about india right if, if someone asks me what i'm stoked about i'm stoked about the way the ecosystem is the quality of founders the amount of startups coming up and the amount of people trying to solve problems right so that's what i'm super stoked about i've never ever seen the startup environment as vibrant and as charged as it is today right the animal spirits have really awoken in covid right i mean it's it's amazing and people say like uh, people used to say earlier is there really good deal flow today if someone says there's no good deal flow not looking hard enough because there is a lot of good deal flow challenge today is uh, that given the amount of capital available and the competitiveness of the ecosystem price is little bit higher um, and the market is hot but i think uh, as a smart investor you got to just peel through the layers and and find what you want to do and and have conviction to to pay up for what you think is value that's a challenge right for a lot of vcs today especially get finding the right price right equity for them to actually participate have you ever been in a situation where you've had to make that tough choice of saying hey maybe we may not end up getting the points that we need on the equity side but hey these are founders that i really 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 want to back either because of the other other things you mentioned the tam was great the founders are fantastic or it was just that you see the sector growing into something way larger than it is so would there be a situation ever uh, or has there been a situation in the past where you've had to go away a little bit from your investment strategy and your playbook and take a bet on founders and what did that strategy um, look like and if it's not happened in the past do you see that for happening in the future look it will happen right so from an angel side i've done it multiple times some of them right. have paid off some of them have not paid off um i think the answer to this question is an honest conversation with the founder right um and i believe in complete transparency say hey look this is where i'm at i think your expectation is very far away from where i'm at i want to work with you i want to make this happen where can we meet can we meet somewhere else and some of the founders will say yes we can meet some of the founders will say no we can't meet for these and these reasons and then you got to step back and say hey does it make sense for me or not right and there's no right answer we got to step back and take that decision um and it's a personal one Uh, but i think honesty transparency in being clear about where you are and where the founder is that will help solve this problem there will be lot of times right given the competitiveness of deals that that maybe there'll be someone who's going to pay more to win the deal as well and i think you got to you got to build conviction yourself but you got to have enough reasons for the conviction right you can't go to your ic and say it's a momentum deal uh, just like six other people are investing let's just put our money right because yeah. that's not it's not what we've signed up for and, and what we're supposed to do So I think from a consumer brand thesis, there has to brand specifically. If I'm talking about right, I teach a course on consumer brands as well. There has to be 
semblance of unit economics and the sense of unit economics. Right? So, what is unit economics? There is an average order value. There is a cost of goods sold leading to a gross margin. Below that, there is a customer acquisition cost, a cost of logistics, a cost of packaging, a cost of payment gateway leading to contribution margin. There should be some semblance of this working out on a first order and a repeat order, right? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work out and you lose money forever on your first order, it may not pan out or, or there has to be a sort of pathway to, to it panning out. So on consumer brands, easy to understand unit economics, right? On other businesses like consumer internet, on enablers to e-commerce, you have to look at different parameters. But as long as you have logic backing your investment thesis, mm. logic backing the TAM, logic backing the size of the business, logic backing the the PNL of the business today, logic backing what the projections are, why they would work out. I think it's fine, but you got to have the thesis built out on logic that can be explained to people who may not understand the space as well as you think you understand the space. That's very interesting. Because would that then also mean it changes your investment uh, opportunities? Like for example, an FMCG brand versus a consumer technology brand or consumer um, tech uh, traditionally, today, when we think about tech, we think about e-commerce enablement, uh, enablement uh, supply chain uh, operations, and all of these. Would that then change your um, investment strategy when it comes to these? And would you then say FMCG may not be some one of those sectors that we can actually like hold to this investment philosophy? You can't evaluate businesses in different sectors with the same yardstick. Okay. Um, it's not possible to evaluate a logistics business in relation to a brand, in relation to a social commerce business in relation to a, a e-commerce platform or a new commerce platform. Mm -hmm. So each business has to have its own yardstick of evaluation. Um, and as long as you know your sectors and you create your yardsticks, the multiple you may ascribe to a brand may be different from a warehousing business, right? But the, the way the businesses function are also different. Never what, what are some things that you want to invest, but you can't invest? Uh, look, I think... I am like, I, I want to learn. I wouldn't say can't invest, right? I want to learn much more about web three. I want to learn much more about the metaverse. I want to learn much, much, much more about influencer enablement. I want to learn more about these things. Mm. Nothing like can't invest. Mm. It's about learning more to build a thesis. No, can't invest more in the sense of, hey, I don't know whether the sector too well. Or the sector hasn't played out itself to actually. I don't know these sectors well as well as I should, and so I I, I will keep learning. I want to like tie all this back into the initial questions that I had uh, when we started this episode. Why VC? Yeah, you mentioned about giving back in helping founders. You could have helped founders in multiple ways, but what made VC the next best opportunity for you to be doing what you're doing? Look, I think we we started doing it, mentoring, advising, all of these things, and then we said, yeah. look, uh, we should put our money where our mouth is as well, right? And, and then we started angel investing. And then if I was angel investing, um, why not do it in a bigger way? And that's what eventually led to VC. But it's not that structured a, a, a journey or a thought process. It was like, okay, we're doing this. Then this led to this. This led to this. This led to a conversation with World Invest. I really like the people. I really like their approach. If you asked me when I exited, would I be doing this today? I would have said no chance. I'm not sure, right? But, but the people, their thought process my philosophy and their philosophy match. And that's what led to me in this role. I didn't say when I exited, I want to do VC. Mm. Uh, I said, I want to give back. I met these amazing people. They offered me an amazing opportunity that aligned with my goals and my thesis. And that's why I took it. Yeah. And they've been other people who I may not have got along with so well. I may not have taken it. Right? It was just the, the right environment, culture, people, and opportunity that aligned together for me to take it. 
I, I want to ask you this question before we kind of like start wrapping this episode up. What does it really take for a founder today to be successful in a consumer sector? Like, you know, it, it's a very open-ended question. I'm sure there are like a lot of answers here. But um, what is your advice to somebody who's building out a company today? What should they be focusing on before they even start thinking about venture capital? Maybe it's a two-part question. One is, what are you thinking about when you're launching a brand? And two, when do you want to be approaching any investor for capital and saying, hey, I'm ready to scale at this point? What is that this point? What is that turning point for them that they need to be looking into? So I'll answer the second question first. When is the right time for capital? I have a view on this. And my view on this is the right time for capital is when you've established some amount of PMF and then you want to take it to the next level, right? right. So before you raise the capital, you should know what you need the capital for. Hmm. And so business investment, I know that we've got from point A to point B. Now we need capital to get from point B to point E. Hmm. Not we are trying to get from point A to point E and maybe we'll take capital and we'll see what happens, right? So that's hmm. my view on capital. When we raise money, we already knew exactly where we were stuck without money and what do you do with the money? And that allowed us to get exponential growth with the money because we already knew what we want to do. Moment the money came, we were like, here, 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 and here's where we're going to spend and here's how the business is going to scale, right? So that's on the capital raise perspective. Look, what should a good consumer founder be thinking of, right? I think there are there are a bunch of things, right? First, why D2C or why, why that space, right? Like, for example, if you're selling a highly voluminous home cleaning product, where the cost of logistics is equal to the cost of the product or the yeah. AOV of the product may not be good for D2C. So why D2C? Second thing is, what is my product and what problem does it solve? Mm. Third thing is, what does my brand stand for and who are the customers? These three things should start off the conversation, right? And then you move to more operational things like, how is my website? What does my storefront look like? What are my channels of sale? How do I acquire customers? Is it through my own website? Is it through marketplaces? How do I then retain these customers and bring them back? That's when I get my secret sauce. How do I manage the post-order experience of supply chain ops, logistics, and customer delight? And then eventually, what can I do with my team culture to hyperscale this, this company? Right. So I think two, two, two sections of the journey. The last part is so hard. And I think you've had a very good experience doing the last part, which is trying to like really build what the brand stands for. And you're kind of like doing that with World Invest as well, trying to build a brand around it with your previous success story, with what you're doing with your own content, with what you're doing on social media platforms. Trying to, you're again, not just building a brand um, with World Invest, you're also building a brand for yourself as a venture capitalist yourself. But when you're also doing it from a founder perspective, how how do you start that conversation? Like where, where do you breach the conversation on what does my brand need to stand for? Very simple, actually. Uh, it, 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 it's a very philosophical question, but the best way to do it is to follow this process, which my cousin who runs a branding agency taught me. He said, take a paper, put your brand name in the middle, write as many words that come to your mind in relation to your brand. Okay. And then pick three. Interesting. Just pick three words, right? Okay. And once you pick those three words, so three words for Dr. Vedya's word, 150 years of legacy, new age Ayurveda, proudly Indian. Any communication you saw of Dr. Vedya's once he completed that exercise had yeah. these one, two or three of these words in it, right? And so if you think of brand, that's actually the most easy way to solve for this problem. Oh, I, that's a great note to actually like end this episode on because it's something that people can take away. It's something that actually sticks. And it's a great, simple branding advice that you can give to anybody. You really bring a, an operator approach to venture capital in the true sense of it. 
and i think that summarized and captured everything that you are as a brand and i wish you all the luck in your vc journey and i'm sure and i hope that our paths cross more than it has in the past and i look forward to us perhaps collaborating and investing in companies together we've shared a couple of companies in the past but i hope we can actually make our first investment together sometime very very soon thank you so much akash thank you for what you do for the ecosystem and it's been an honor to be on the podcast well that brings us to the end of this amazing episode Arjun dove into the nuances of building consumer startups in India, and as you can see, there are a lot of factors and variables that need to fall into place, as it is with any other startup, for you to be successful. In fact, for long periods of time, consumer-focused brands find it harder to find PMF due to the nature of the market, and within India, the competition across most sectors is incredibly high. I hope you were able to take away some great insights from this episode shared by him. And if you're a consumer-focused investor or a founder building in India, you must also subscribe to his own podcast called Direct to a Billion Consumers. So do check that out. And while you're at it, if you like this episode and the others that we've brought you so far, do subscribe to the DCVC podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and do share this episode with one other person that you think might enjoy listening to it. It really helps others discover our show as well. We've obviously loved all of your support so far, and I hope to see you again back here on the podcast next week as I bring to you the very first Pakistani VC on the show. As I previously promised at the beginning of the year, we will see a number of new entrants onto the podcast. We'll have unicorn founders coming and talking about their experience fundraising from venture capitalists in the country, venture capitalists from adjacent markets like Pakistan and Bangladesh to talk about the nuances of investing in their own countries and how similar those experiences to our own journey here in India has been. And most importantly, also continue to get some leading investors from India to talk about the booming landscape as we previously have on the show as well. So do make sure that you tune back in again next week and in the following weeks so that you are able to listen to these amazing insights from all of these leaders in the space. Thanks for tuning in again everybody. I'll see you again on the show next week.